Welcome to Unshush Librarians, a podcast for teachers, librarians, and lovers of young adults. Today, we are coming to you live from the Texas Library Association's annual conference in Austin, Texas. It's cosplay day, so we decided to do a special graphic novel edition. I am Erin Logan. I'm the librarian at League City Intermediate, and today I will be talking to you about the graphic novel Tetris, The Games People Play by Box Brown. I'm Laura Gladney-Lemon. I am the librarian at Clear Creek High School, and today I'm going to be talking about The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang. I'm Darcy Burrows. I'm the librarian at Space Center Intermediate, and today I'll be talking about Speak, the graphic novel by Lori Hall Sanderson, artwork by Emily Carroll. I'm Shirley Dickey. I'm the librarian at Clear Lake High School, and I'll be talking about Brandon Sanderson's White Sand series. And I'm Katrina Zanier from Victory Lakes Intermediate, and I'll be talking about Hey Kiddo by Jarrett Kozowska, and then possibly New Kid by Jerry Craft. Hi, this is Laura, um, and I'm going to be talking about The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang, which I was super excited to read because I read her book in real life that was written years and years ago, um, and I've really enjoyed that. And also, I just want to give it a shout out to their publication, their publisher. It's called First Second Books. I've always really liked the first second books. So I'm really, I like them as a publisher. So I think that's interesting. I kind of get turned on to publishers sometimes. And sometimes another weird thing I do is I get turned on to editors. Um, there's like a particular editor that I swear by. If she edits it, I'm going to like that book. So I think that's kind of a weird thing. I have a lot of first second books in my library. And I too, when they come like through Junior Library Guild or whatever, I usually know that like, hey, that's going to be a good one. So I feel you. All right. The Prince and the Dressmaker is a story of a prince, and he is to become king, and he needs to get married to a princess because he is going to be the king. And his story is that he isn't really interested in getting married at this time because he has a secret, and his secret is that he is a crossdresser. And that he really, really loves dressing up. Well, he goes into town and finds himself a dressmaker. And they become really good friends and confidants. And they go all around town in the evenings and um, around everywhere they go, everywhere he goes, wherever he travels, he goes out at night. And he becomes quite a sensation as Lady Cristela in high society. And then all of the other women are wanting to copy the fashion that he's wearing out at night. And so basically, this is a story of him and his struggle and that he's, you know, having to hide the secret and, you know, he doesn't feel okay to talk about this with the people that he's dating. And it's a story of also the dressmaker who gets the opportunity to make these beautiful clothes but can't be out front about who she is and who she's working for and it's also a really beautiful love story I really enjoyed it it really talks a lot about gender stereotypes and what is expected of people and um, not wanting to, to disappoint your parents but also being true to yourself so this really resonated with me and I definitely recommend it. And it was something that I definitely would be recommending to students that are perhaps struggling readers um, because the graphics are beautiful and they really help tell the story. 
When he's out at night in these dresses, nobody realizes that it is the prince. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Right. And then how does he find this dressmaker? Like, how does he realize that this is a person that he can trust? Because obviously the dressmaker has to know his real identity. He really didn't. He went out on a leap of faith and he asked his steward or his assistant to go out and ask this dressmaker that he'd become aware of to work for him. And his original plan was that she wasn't going to know who he was. But of course, in making the dresses, she needed to see him and his body. And so he kind of just had to open up to her. And she ended up being, you know, a, a true friend and an ally to him. But it was a leap of faith at first. I guess there's also the part of it that who's going to believe a dressmaker that says just out of nowhere, guess who called me into his royal castle and asked me to make him dresses? She's really a nobody. She wasn't like a famous person before. She became famous through her work from him. So I do think that there was some privilege there that even if she did, you know, the first time she saw him and was disgusted by it or decided to tell, um, he could have just said, what are you talking about? You're crazy, which I think happens a lot. And the love story, who is that with? That's not with her, right? I don't want to talk about it. Okay. I mean, I want to talk about it. Right. Yeah. You but don't I don't away. want to talk about it. Yeah, don't talk about it yet because my copy's on back order. <laughs> I have mine. I have mine. I'm going to get out there and read it. I'm just interested in sometimes we equate cross-dressing with people being gay also, but there are people that cross-dress that aren't gay. I was just interested in like where this particular story goes, but if you don't want to tell that part because it's too much of the surprise in it, I totally understand. Is that why you don't want to talk about it? I was going to, that's what I was going to ask is what is your reason why you don't want to talk about it? Don't give anything away. Okay. All right. Good. I, yeah. I just don't want to give it away. Okay. I do think there's a reason. Yeah. I just feel like I'd be giving away a big surprise. Well, yeah, I feel the same way about my book with Speak. You know, I don't, I'm scared to tell too much. And I feel like, oh, it's 20 years in, everybody should know, but maybe some people don't know. And I, I'm nervous about what all to share in this, you know, in talking about it, even though we're talking about the graphic novel version. I was a little nervous to read it because I loved the novel so much. I just could not imagine how you could take a novel that had such an impact and make it a graphic novel. But I am extremely pleased with what Lori Hulse Anderson and Emily Carroll have done. It's absolutely amazing. All of the pictures are in black and white, and I think that that speaks to consent, right? Consent is black and white, absolutely 100%. Either you have said yes or you don't have consent. They talk about that in here. It's just such a beautiful story about a young girl, Melinda, who's moving from, it's, the story's really about her first year of high school after something tragic and horrific has happened um, in the summer between eighth grade and freshman year. And that's the part that I don't want to give away too much because I think if you haven't read it, there's that what happened kind of pulls you through the story. I read the graphic novel in two hours. I used to argue with the book that every girl should read this book, but absolutely my, my thoughts on that have changed. I feel that every one of my eighth grade students should read this book before they go to high school. And what I really love about this graphic novel is that 
Whereas before, I might have said, oh, I don't know if I can get every one of my kids to read it. I think with the graphic novel version, there is no excuse for a kid not having read this book before they get to high school. It is so accessible. Anyone can read it. The pictures are breathtaking. The fear and the ugliness uh, in, the in some of the characters shines through on the page. They're just in a way really graphic, you know what I mean? <laughs> like I know that that's what they mean when they say graphic novels, but I mean, you can really get the feeling without the language because of the pictures. And I, there are some updates that she made because the book, like I said, was written 20 years ago. There are a few, like the kid having a smartphone, I think she mentions like Nutella or in Instagram maybe, which are total like we're current type things. I just feel like this is an even more approachable version of a really fantastic novel. She has this one teacher that she, it's not that she really feels that close to him, but that he keeps pushing her to explore herself through art. And at this really poignant moment, he says, time's up, Melinda. And I just know that Lori House Anderson didn't use that term flippantly. Like she's saying, you know, culturally, time's up, right? Like, we need to be responsible. We need to ask for consent. Uh, we need to ensure that consent was given and that the culture that we've had around how women specifically are treated, how sexual assault survivors are treated, how young people are treated in regards to consent, all of that is different and we need to be aware of it and make the proper changes. I think she uses those terms in shout too, doesn't she? I read it. On the back, it says, I said no, like point blank. She says it in the book too, and at a moment where you're like, yes. But it's just so good. It's amazing. That's an amazing cover. So how does that compare to, I've, I haven't read the graphic. I've only read the original uh, text, but how does it compare in unraveling the layers and you kind of because you kind of know at the beginning what it's about but it's not until as you read it that you put the pieces together about the trauma that she experienced Katrina that is it's such a good question because as I was reading it right because I knew from the novel what happened but right as I was reading it and we got to that scene where they're kind of unraveling what happened you're still like but did that really happen was it what I thought it was, am I remembering correctly? And then there's a moment even later where she lays it out point blank, kind of exactly what happened, but through the, what Melinda says, okay? Like her, her figuring it out for herself and claiming it. So yeah, the, I mean, the graphics were just phenomenal in moving you through it. I remember specifically in the novel where it's talking about her smelling like the earth and the, the dirt and the leaves and all that stuff. Yeah. And here you have it in picture form and there's a little, a little blurb about it. So you don't have all of the descriptive language, which was just oh, kind of broke you down in the actual novel. And here you get it visually so you can understand how it would still be scarring, but it's not all of the language. So it makes it so much more accessible, you know, for, for the kids that just feel like they're muddling through whenever it's a lot of descriptive language. And I, this just gives it right to you. Oh, the other question I was curious about, I loved how um, she used art and the tree, remember? Yes. Um, and wasn't there a comment in the original text about she wasn't being herself or what the, she wasn't, 
speaking, basically. Right. How was that? How is her art progression shown throughout the graphic? That I was talking about that she yeah. felt that was like motivating her. Yeah. And it does. It shows that her struggling okay. over and over again to recreate this tree. The cover is her hidden in the tree. It's absolutely beautiful. But yeah, it's just like her eyes or whatever. But towards the end, you see the growth if you will, of the tree and how she's changed. And, you know, Melinda struggled to speak and the pictures show the pain that she caused herself while she was trying to keep basically her mouth closed about what had happened. So it's really, really well done. I'm really glad you brought this one up today because I've been hesitant to read this. I love the book. I read it years and years and years ago, not 20 years ago, but not too long after it came out. And I don't know why I've been hesitant to read the graphic novel because in my mind, I keep telling myself, oh, well, but there's some things that I think the story's got to unfold. And I don't know if like picture form is going to do it justice. But at the same time, I've seen the Lifetime movie and I really liked it. So I kind of need to get over that and maybe just read it and then just I feel like the story it, in all three formats, right? Yeah, it's kind of the same trepidation that we have with a beloved book that becomes a movie and you're like, ugh, how are they going to do it? You know, I read, I hate to admit this, but I saw the Harry Potter movies before I read the book because there was so much hype about it. I was like, I don't even want to read it. it can't be that good, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I saw the movies. I was like, oh, these are really good. I still didn't want to read the books. And then I eventually read the books. And I was like, oh my God, way better than the movies, obviously. And then they ruined the movies for me for about five years. And then I could go back and read it because you forget all of the little intricacies from the book. So then you can enjoy the movie again. This, I had enough space between reading the novel and the graphic novel um, I think to let the graphic novel be what it is on its own because it is an individual piece of art also, or, you know, I think if you go back and read this now, you're going to get everything that you needed from it that you got from the original novel. Are you inspired to go back and read the original novel again? Uh, yeah, I am. I will say this. I have a bazillion books on my can't wait to read list, right? But I did pick the book up yesterday and put it into one of my ELA teacher's hands. He was like, oh, I need to get it. I said, no, ma'am, you need to stop what you're reading and read this book because it will not take you long. And then when you're done, because you're not a huge fan of graphic novels, I'm going to give you the graphic novel and I'm going to make you understand why some of your readers need graphic novels. I love that. Yeah. I love that you did that. Yeah, so maybe she'll do it. You know, I handed it to her, and I'm praying that she takes it because some of our kids, they just can't get through what I find it really easy to get through. And so let's give it to them in a different format. Like I said, major kudos to Lori House Anderson for taking the time to take her book, which I'm sure, I mean, she's known for, that she's loved for, and to edit it down and to make it a graphic novel that stands up to the power of her original novel. So, and did she illustrate it? No, Emily Carroll illustrated it. And I had the good fortune of listening to Lori Hulse Anderson talk about this process at TLA, I think last year and the struggle, but she, she was a huge fan of Emily Carroll's also, you know, and, and her, her artwork. And I'm telling you, even the choice and how she, did the, the fonts, how she changed the fonts for the different things going on. Like you have cheerleaders and they have a different font 
than the teachers or when Melinda herself is like in her own head that kind of has a different font. They did a phenomenal job of changing it up. It's really good. I want to give a shout out just to the author herself because I follow her on Twitter and, you know, I think a lot of authors take issues on and then they move on to their next thing and they leave behind, you know, what they were trying to say. And I I tell you, I mean, I don't really pay that close of attention, but it feels to me like every single day she's standing up and saying something about sexual assault and standing up on behalf of, you know, survivors. And I really appreciate that about her because I think she's really stayed true to her. Like, I think this is more than just a book for her. I think it's like, yeah, this is her life. This is definitely her life. Mm-hmm. And I give her a shout out for, you know, staying true to that. Like, I, I think that's impressive. I think most authors, not that authors need to do it or they have some responsibility to do it, but she has definitely taken and continued to take her message and talk about it, as far as I can tell, constantly. And how forward thinking was she, you know, she did this 20 years ago with the original novel. So this isn't something that she just was like, oh, me too, time's up, let's write this. You know what I mean? Like, it, this is something that, she faced when a lot of YA writers weren't talking about this and definitely not this openly. And to have characters that don't just stand up and they have a microphone and they're like, this is what happened to me from the beginning because sometimes that's what we want people to do. And this is a real story. This is what really happens. I was assaulted in high school and I was one of those, I'm a feminist, I'm loud, I'm gonna tell you about yourself. And I said nothing and I told no one because I just wanted, it happened in February and then it happened in April. And I said, I just have to get through May. I get it, you know, I get the being quiet and just getting through. Yeah, I I appreciate her characters. And and it also, that leads me into this uh, new book that I just received, Brazen Rebel Ladies Who Rocked the World by Penelope Bajou. What I absolutely love about this graphic novel is it's little bitty snippets about a bunch of different women who have done some things that we don't know anything about. And it also reminds me of how American-centric, if you will, we kind of are sometimes, especially when we're talking about women that have gone out and done something amazing. This book is geographically all over the place and time-wise. There's a story that I just read about uh, a woman who was in Greece. And I love, too, that she doesn't say, I don't think it's A.D. She says, like, before J.C. Anyway, uh, which is pretty funny. But <clears throat> there are so many great stories in here. And... She's, oh, it's AVJC, that's what she says, around 350. This is a woman who was like, oh, no, women need women doctors. Oh, y'all aren't going to let me do that here in Greece. I'm going to go to um, Egypt where they let me study, and I'm going to learn all these things, and I'm going to bring it back for the women that need this help. It's a really great book about a lot of different women that maybe you haven't heard of and some that you have, like Josephine Baker, which reminded me that she was a part of the French resistance during World War II. And I just read Skylark and Wall Creeper. And so I had another character there that was a part of the, the French resistance. And so it's just really good to read all these different snippets. And I wanted to do a lot of research and I'm not even through all of it. And I've wanted to kind of stop after each little story because each person's little mini biography is about 
two to three pages. So it gets you right into the action, kind of blows through the whole story. And then it makes me want to just do a lot of research. I have that book and I flipped through it a little bit, but I haven't read it cover to cover. But I think it's one of those good, like you can flip through it and pick and choose type stories. Absolutely. And I think it would be good for in a class to be like, oh, pick one, you know, and then you can do some research because you could get into it, grab somebody and then do a lot of great research to kind of find out more about their lives. I think that one's on the Tasha's list this year, isn't it? On the 2019 Tasha's list? Yes. It's a great book. I I recommend it for sure. Okay. Well, speaking of nonfiction, um, this is Erin and I'm going to talk today a little bit about Tetris, the games people play by Box Brown. You might be familiar with some of Box Brown's work already. He did the Andre the Giant graphic novel, which um, I think it's called Andre the Giant Life and Legend. I've read it, loved it. Don't have it in my middle school. It's definitely more mature. I believe some of the high schools have it. It's probably high school adulty level. He also did a graphic novel called Is This Guy For Real? The Unbelievable Andy Kaufman, which I have not read yet. Has anyone read that one? I have not, but I will say this. I just got the Andre the Giant book in yesterday and I was like, oh, great. My kids will love this. So maybe not. <laughs> maybe I'll it's a little, it's a little in my office. Sure. <laughs> And, you know, maturity is one thing, but sometimes in a graphic novel, one of the downsides of it is when the mature content is drawn in front of your face. It's a little bit different than when it's hidden in some words and sentences on the page, right? You don't have to imagine it. It's right there for you. Yes. So fun fact, too, about Box Brown. I also, a few months ago, went to see a band called Cloud Nothings that I like, and I've seen them a few times, and they had this really weird t-shirt with like these... I don't know, kind of weird looking bunnies drawn on it. And for some reason, I was like, I need that shirt. And after I got home and washed it, I realized that underneath the artwork, it says box brown on it. So like I have box brown artwork in my closet now too, apparently, right? Okay. So Tetris, the games people play is basically about the creators of the video game Tetris. I learned so much, not just about Tetris, but from this particular book about the human brain and games and the way that people have created games and played them throughout the course of history, how a long, long, long time ago, they may have made the original like game pieces for board games out of bone bits. It talks a lot about human competition and art. We also learn a lot about Pong, about those cabinet arcade games, about how Tetris basically launched the Game Boy It mentions in there a lot, and I don't think a lot of our kids realize this, that Nintendo started out as like a card company. I really loved it because it was, yes, it's about the history of Tetris, which is like the only video game that I've ever been good at besides Guitar Hero. And we still have our original Nintendo that every now and then we will still plug in and play because Tetris lives in it because none of the other games really work that well. You get that blinky white screen, you know? I loved it. I highly recommend it. Almost anybody reads it. There's a little bit of mature content in it, but mostly it's just because like the guys that create it, they're, you know, they're drinking and smoking some, but I mean, I loved it. I thought it was great. I love Tetris. Like I absolutely love Tetris. I remember being in the orthodontist chair with the Game Boy playing Tetris and like, they're like, okay, you're done. I'm like, dang it. I'm on level 15 or whatever. So that's really cool. I'd love to hear the, the history of it. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it was pretty neat. One thing I appreciated too is how they just passed it around on a bunch of floppy disks at first because they were like, here, I guess it was like maybe the original open source video game or open source software too. I don't know. Do our kids know about Tetris? Oh yeah, they play it on their laptops all the time. 
Okay. Or at least in middle school they do. Because a lot of times if they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing and I walk behind them, it's either Minecraft or Tetris. Well, I... I played it a lot in college when I was supposed to be writing papers also. Like I would just open it up on my screen, like to the side. And one time my friend TJ and and Gilbert, my friends TJ and Gilbert came in and we were supposed to go somewhere and I was like, hold on, I just got to finish this game, right? And they were sitting down behind me and I was playing and they were like, Darcy. And I was like, what? And they're like, FBI is like watching you now. Like they're like, if anybody can play at this level, because I I would play it so often, like on the side that I was like crazy good. They're like, there's no way. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm killing it, Tetris. So that's exciting. I just died on that like maroon and purple level. Yeah. (laughs) My eyes didn't like that level. I couldn't, it was moving too fast and I couldn't focus on it. It was the colors. If it was colored differently, you totally would have killed it. There we go. That was it. So I'm going to take us in a different direction. My book is uh, White Sand by Brandon Sanderson and it's fantasy. Before I talk about the book, though, I want to tell you something about myself. As a librarian, I have tons of graphic novels, and I totally see the value for our kids, the depth and the complexity and the visual that the visual piece adds to stories. I really think that they're wonderful. But as a reader, I struggle. I cannot read graphic novels. I've tried over and over again with different ones, and I just can't do it. Every time I get halfway through and I'm like, Ugh, I can't, I can't stand this. So there is something about that format that really doesn't speak to me as a reader. So I'm going to talk about this book, but I want to be clear that I am not good at this. I'm not a graphic novel reader. You know what, Shirley, I kind of feel you. It, it took me a while and I was trying to read it got turned into a movie. It was a graphic novel. And I was like, I'm going to read this book before we go see this movie. And my husband had read it because he's like his big comic nerd and everything. And I kept telling him, I was like, I don't understand it. And he was like, are you looking at the pictures? And I was like, no. He's like, you have to look at the pictures. They tell the story. I forget to look at the pictures a lot of times. Do you do that? Or is it just... No, I don't, I don't actually forget to look at the pictures. I'm a former art teacher. Oh, yeah, so, that's true. So it really, really doesn't make sense that I wouldn't enjoy this format. It should be right down my alley and it really bothers me <laughs> that I that I don't I don't enjoy it at all. So, you know, just keep that in mind. I picked this one up. Yeah. Really, I also I struggle with uh, the format as well. Just as a reader, it's not my favorite. I think that that's why it's so important that we are doing this particular podcast because we're pushing ourselves a little bit out of our normal realms, I think. And for me to pick up another book because we were doing this, so you know what, we're talking about these, let me go ahead and pick up Brazen also. It it is pushing the boundaries of what I typically read. And I think that that's good for us, but I think it's also good to, to see that not everybody gets information the way that we do. So how beneficial to have something in a different format that we can give, which I know you understand that, but even though we struggle with it, because I imagine it's the same for the kids, like even though, you know, they, they really get graphic novels, maybe they struggle the way that we do flip side, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And you're totally right. I mean, there's, there's no question at all that these are the right books for some kids. And that the, and as I said earlier, they really, I think, add a level of depth that we don't get with just plain old print books. We, uh, the illustrations really take us to a new level. 
I want to point out first that there's a a law, sort of long, not really long. Maybe I'm not saying that right. There's a very good introduction to this book, which I found to be very interesting. You know, I picked up Brandon Sanderson because I re- have read his other books and I love his other, I love his other worlds. He's wonderful at world building. He writes for adults and young adult audiences and he's pretty well known. And he, he does a beautiful job of constructing the worlds where his characters live. The introduction to this book talks about the origination of this idea, which was actually 20 years ago. And if you're someone who likes to know what the author is thinking, it's kind of delightful to read this beginning part of the graphic novel and hear about his journey over the last 20 years with this story and trying to figure out what format fit it best and how to get it published because it did not get published right away when he first thought of it. So I want to talk about the art a little bit. Uh, the, The illustrations, the artwork in this graphic novel is beautiful. The illustrator and the colorer did a very good job of illustrating the world that's here, but it is a little bit confusing. The story moves really fast. It's, you jump right in in the first page. It is right in the middle of the peak of action. And it is hard as a new a reader beginning a story to jump right into the middle of high action when you don't know the characters, you don't know what's going on, you don't know the history, you don't know why this person is being mean to that person or whatever their history might be. So I found it a little hard at the beginning to to jump right in so fast and hot on the storyline. And I did, it took me a good 15 or 20 pages to sort of discern what was really going on in the story. However, I do think it's a good story. It's about sandmasters who have a magical sand ability so they can do, you know, great things with sand. And it jumps right in while they're being attacked and the everyone is killed and this one person survives and it moves on from there and the you know the story itself follows a a pretty decent arc and it goes all the way to the end and there's additional books in this series so there's a second one out and a third one on the way so i don't want to spoil the story arc but the story itself is pretty good if it's a if a little choppy and I, i feel like it's choppy like there's not enough information there but again that might be my not graphic novel reading thing that might just be that I'm not used to that. And that's the way graphic novels really are written. The other thing I didn't really love about this is that, you know, while the illustrations, the drawings are really good, especially when they're in the piece, there's, there's a, this world has two sides. There's a light side and a dark side and the illustrations are very, very different for the two sides, which is right. But when we're on the sand side of the world, everything is tan all the backgrounds all the people all the clothes all the everything and it be, it sometimes makes it pretty hard to distinguish what's going on especially as i said in the very beginning when all the sand people have similar features similar skin tones and all their clothing looks the same and the, i had to flip back and forth a little bit to sort of figure out who was who and who said what and it was it was it was a little difficult it aggravated me And the other thing that I didn't love, and this, I don't know, I I don't know what this means about me. I I hate to put it out there, but the people in this world look like, to me, 
that they mostly have sort of Aryan white people features, but they just colored the skin tones differently. And it aggravated the crud out of me <laughs> to watch these people with different skin tones look like white people who were just really tan. And I don't, and they had blonde hair. And I guess it makes sense that they're sand people. And so their coloring is more like sand, but it really, it began to bother me after a while. And it, aggravated me every time I turned a page and saw more people like that. And of course that makes them all look alike too, which makes it a little bit harder as a reader to distinguish what's going on. Well, there's a lot of whitewashing in literature and movies. So, I mean, that's, that's a whole other episode, but I can see why that would annoy you. Yeah, it really did. One thing like, and I, I would identify myself like as a struggling reader and I make no secret that I don't like fantasy, but I think part, and I'm not trying to trash all fantasy, but for me, a struggling reader, fantasy's hard. And it's for a lot of the reasons that you just said, trying to figure out who's who and what's what and what world and these weird names that like don't sound. And I have the same problem with anything that's not like a typical standard English name. Like when I was a kid, I remember like when I was trying to do Greek mythology, that was so hard for me. And so I just had to like make up code names. Like I call them John and, you know, I had it all worked out in my head that when I read this crazy word that didn't make any sense <laughs> to my brain, I would, I had my own name for that person. And that's the only way I could get through mythology but just just throwing that out there is like some of the things that you mentioned as being I think it's interesting that you mentioned that it was hard in the graphic novel format for you because those are the same things that are hard in the just fantasy format for me so I think it's just interesting that I don't know I just thought it was interesting you know I did the same thing last night though Laura when I was reading Brazen because there are women from all over the world and from you know, different countries, countries where I'm not familiar with the language. And there are lots of letter combinations that I'm just not familiar with. And I'm like, oh, in, you know, like, I'm just gonna call her in. Or how about Hermione, when we first saw that, right? We're all like, Hermione. My students made fun of me for pronouncing that incorrectly, but I had never met a Hermione in my entire life and had yeah. not seen the movie first. So yes. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Like I do that too. And, and I totally get it. And I think fantasy is hard for those reasons as well. I absolutely agree with that. And then to combine fantasy and graphic novel together, because you do have, I do feel like graphic novels move faster and I would think that they kind of have to, right. With all of the drawing and that you're relying so much on that versus words and everything. And if you're relying so much on drawing and then everything seems to be blending together, I would totally see struggling with that. Cause you're already thrown into this world that isn't like your normal world. And then to have it done so quickly, I can agree with that too. Cause that's my struggle with fantasy is all of a sudden I'm like, I don't understand the rules of this world. <laughs> Well, I don't struggle with fantasy at all. I love fantasy, but I can totally see what you're saying. And I think this book would have maybe not been so hard if they hadn't dropped you in right in the middle of high action where you sort of need to know who's on what side. So when you were first talking about the different color tones for the different areas, at first I was really excited because I thought that that would help to know the differences. And it made me think of um, Logan's book, the Tetris book. Did they use different color schemes for when they went to Russia. I don't remember because I know that at one point the character said that when he went to Russia, everything was drab and gray and there's no color. 
In Tetris? Yes. Yeah, the whole book is black, white, and yellow. Okay, so they didn't change it to help differentiate no. the location. Okay. No. Did they in your book, Shirley? Because it seems yeah. like that could be a good use of art. Right. Yeah, they definitely did. There, there's two sides of the world, the light side and the dark side, and they're very differently illustrated. Yeah, they definitely did use them. That was more confusing than helpful. Because when you first said it, I thought, oh, that's a great idea to use it. But apparently that was a little bit more difficult. I went to see If Then on Broadway about five years ago. And it's the story like if the girl had gone with this guy, this story would have happened. And if she had gone with this guy, then this would have happened. Well, they changed the color on the set. So when she's Liz, it's this color. And when she's Beth, it's this color. But I didn't figure that out to like the second half. And I was the whole time I was like, what is going on? <laughs> If I could have figured out the color scheme, I'd have been like, oh, okay, makes sense. Still not a great musical, but would have made a heck of a lot more sense. I just got The Giver, the new graphic novel, M. Did anyone get that one yet? Yes, I, did. I didn't read it. It's I've only flipped through it. But what and? I love about it is it's black and white, and then color is slowly added to it. So, like, as not a huge graphic novel reader, I'm very excited about that one because I feel like that's one that like visually someone really used the art aspect of it to their advantage. So kind of Wizard of Ozzy. You yeah. know, as a struggling reader, though, y'all were talking earlier about, and just to contextualize this for the audience, I'm dyslexic. So that's why I keep referring to myself as a struggling reader. One thing that y'all were talking about earlier was that I really like having the pictures, even though sometimes I do forget to look at them. They are really helpful for me uh, because I don't visualize things in my head at all, really. So unless it's drawn out for me, it's kind of like this hybrid. It's really easy to, you know, everyone says make the movie in your brain. Well, I can't because I can't see things in my brain, but this makes it super easy for me. But at the same time, I do sometimes just rely on words because I have become a reader, you know, and I'm not looking at the pictures enough. So it's, it's not, you know, something that's, I think, a natural format, but I like it. It's just a different type of reading. And I think, so I'm going to use this as a tie-in to one of the graphic novels that I want to talk about. So you talked about the use of the pictures to help tell the story. And in New Kid by Jerry Craft, it's about a boy who goes to a really fancy school. And when he gets there, the majority of the students are Caucasians and he is not. And he wants to go to the art school, but he, his parents say, no, try this for a year, try this for a year. And they've worked really hard to get him to this school, this prestigious private school. And he gets there and the entire book is about how the entire book um, is about how he's trying to fit in the school and he doesn't really want to be there. So he's just going to give it a year. But what I love though, is it is more cartoony, but the characters expressions tell me a lot about what they're feeling at one point that the students are at uh, lunch and this is middle school and they're having tacos. And one of the characters says, man, don't you guys just love tacos? And he says, well, maybe not you, Ramon. And you see the other two boys at the table are both uh, differently colored. And so they're a little bit darker. And so we don't know at the time who they are or anything about them necessarily. But you can tell from the character's expressions that that was not the right thing to say. One kid's actually biting his lip like, did you really just say that? Did you just make the assumption that I like tacos or that my mom makes tacos? because of the color of my skin. And that was throughout that, that dynamic of trying to fit in when you are a different color 
or a different religion even was throughout the book. And of course, that what I loved about it was because of the use of the artwork to tell the story and to learn how the characters were feeling and how he is going to fit in. And it's with his art that he does finally fit in. He gets to work with the newspaper and he realizes that he can be who he is. And even though the teachers would mistaken the two boys of the same grade level that both happened to be African-American. She couldn't really differentiate the two. And so I like that honesty. And I, right. And I like that honesty. I like that it was true. And she looked like she was an innocent person and she kept calling and the kids got really upset about it. And so the power of calling a kid the right name and identify and recognize them as an individual was throughout that book, new kid. And it was definitely an easier book to read because it was, it was about school family played a role in it. And also, because he left his friends, is he now going to be prestigious? Is he going to wear the pink, I mean, the salmon-colored uniform like all the other boys do? It wasn't pink, it was salmon. Do you have to wear a salmon uniform? <laughs> well, that, sounds that, that was the school's color. And so he gets there and he's like, why is everyone wearing pink? One of the boys says, it's not pink, it's salmon. And by is the, the end, salmon their mascot? Please tell me salmon is their mascot. You know what? I do not remember that, but yeah. Okay. So, I've been wanting to read this book. The first kid that read it the day I got it came back and told me that I really needed to read it. And I need to read it because of who that kid is, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's definitely a good, but yeah, it's just never here. So it might be one right. of those books that once everything is due back at the very end of the school year, I snatch it and read it. You know? Right. The other book that um, we were, I was trying to figure out how they were connected and both of them have the use of art. They both have families that are making decisions that impact their, their children, but also both of the main characters in new kid and Hey kiddo by, they both deal with how they can use art to figure out who they are and how they fit in. And so in new kid, he's a cartoonist because that's, he wanted to go to art school and in Hey kiddo, He's also an artist and he ends up drawing at it, murals at the school um, that he goes to. But that one is a definitely, Hey Kiddo is definitely a darker memoir. Um, and the pictures are black and white and orange and kind of flesh tones, I guess. But this one deals with a kid who's being raised by his grandparents. And he doesn't know why. Orange. orange. I do say orange. That is actually how I say it. It is one of the few words that I say oddly, orange and drawer. Forever I couldn't say drawers or whatever it is. Sounds like you still can't. I know. If I just naturally say orange, it's just orange. 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 Okay, I'll fix it. You want me to say fix it? Okay. No, no, I like it. (laughs) In in it, there are a few colored photographs throughout. There's sprinkle some newspaper articles or colored photos of him and his mother, but he doesn't know why, where his mother is. He doesn't find out until later on why he's being raised by his grandparents. And it's because his mother is in rehab and she's in prison. But when I was reading the book, I really thought of someone I know who was raised by his grandparents for similar reasons. And they, he tested the, is hairspray flammable with bodily things? I, can't think of, I don't know if I want to say that on I didn't think that went through. So he actually, it does, uh, Back in the 60s and early 70s of how you were being raised um, by grandparents, there is definitely language in this book. There is family dynamics with alcohol and 
extended families. I don't know who my father is. This book, I had to bribe a student to bring back to me so I could read it with Funyuns. I gave him some Funyuns just so I could read this book because it has not stayed on the shelf because the boys keep taking it because it is great because it is such it's realistic. I mean the the dad and the mom argue with each other. The grandpa the grandparents argue with the other. He discovers that he actually has stepbrothers and sisters and he meets them and he says, "Yeah, I'm glad I went, but you know what?" to his grandparents, "I'm glad I I was raised here by you." And at the end you see a photo like a drawing photo of him and his high school graduation with his extended family, but right in the center are his two grandparents. And the author's notes talk about how his mother didn't attend his high school graduation, but, and now he has a good relationship with her, but his grandparents have, have been there through thick and so it really was a testament to the definition of family and how it doesn't matter what yours looks like. You can still be successful and be happy. And it was really fun throughout the book to see real artifacts, pictures on the pages of what his life was like and notes that he received from his mother and the humor that he used to kind of combat the seriousness and scariness of his life. That sounds amazing. That sounds like something that maybe I need multiple copies of because I have a lot of students that aren't living in what we consider to be a standard upbringing, even if a single mom were standard, that they're not even doing that. So I think it's amazing. That sounds like something I definitely want to hand to a few kids. This one's good. I wanted to relook at my copy before we recorded this, and I also didn't get a chance to because it's just never here. But I loved it. I loved how raw and real it was, and I yes. like that you brought up the artifacts and stuff, like the actual letters that his mom wrote him. And just him coming to terms with, okay, this is my life. This is this is what it is. So I'm. I think maybe I'm really liking these graphic novels that are nonfiction. Maybe I'm Maybe because they're so raw. True. Mm-hmm. It actually is a true depiction of what someone's life is. And, and think about how powerful that is for our kids who don't come from that standard unit of family. You too can write a book. And share your experience and that there are other people that are needing to hear that experience and are experiencing something completely different than any of us even know about. I think, yeah, there's power in that for sure. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Unshushed and stay tuned for next episode. Who knows what we'll be discussing next.